Good evening. My name is Doug. I'm one of the pastors here at Lord's Love Church. I'm so glad that you're able to join us tonight on our Good Friday service. And as we continue journeying to the cross together tonight, I want to have us focus upon the cross, but also upon the worthiness of of Jesus. And if you have your Bibles, uh, we've been reading through uh, Matthew 26 and 27. Uh, maybe you want to have it open on your web browser or on your phone, but please flip with me to Matthew 26 again. Uh, verse 57 to 68. And that's where we're going to be here tonight. And I'll read for us uh, this evening. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fist. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? This is the word of the Lord. Victor Mosqueda was hiking in Sequoia National Park. At 7 a.m. was early on in the morning. And then he saw a boy slip off the trail and fall into the river. This raging river swept the boy away. And without any hesitation, Victor jumped into the water after him. But the shock that came on to the people around them was this, that Victor actually didn't know how to swim. But he saw the boy fall into the water and he jumped in right away without any sort of hesitation. Both the boy and Vincent and Victor went down a few times and this was all the while while Vincent was holding on to Victor's neck trying to get his own breath. They went up and down the water a few times until one final moment, Victor with all his strength threw the boy towards the edge of the river in order to save him and Victor went down one last time. The paramedics finally came and were able to save the boy, but Victor was nowhere to be found. And he died that day at age of 22. And I start off with this story tonight because we're drawn to the stories of sacrifice. Stories where one person gives up their lives for another, for the sake of another person, in order for them to live. And what's so good about Good Friday is specifically about the greatest sacrifice the greatest sacrifice of all of that of Jesus for the sake of you and me, for the sake of humanity. And what drew me to this passage here tonight was in verse 66, uh, where the people responded to Jesus and to the charges that were falsely laid against him, but the charges of Jesus and their response to these charges were this, that he is worthy of death. And I find this very profound of a, of a statement 
You see, on one hand, they're saying he's worthy of death. He's worthy of the punishment. He's worthy of being called a blasphemer, a liar. And they didn't believe him to be God. So they wanted him to die, that he was worthy of death. But at the same time, as we read that text, he is worthy. That Jesus is worthy of death. In fact, Jesus is the only one who's worthy to die the death that we need to have in order for us to have life. Jesus is the only one who is worthy to die to death so that we can live. That's really to say that if it was you and I in that river that day, that Jesus wouldn't have hesitated to jump in and to save us. And it's not that he couldn't save himself. It's not that he didn't have any power, but it was needed. The sacrifice was needed so that you and I can have this life. When we were drowning in our sin and shame, when God could have left us alone, he didn't just leave us alone, but he came down in the form of a man to walk alongside of us, ultimately to give his life for us. And in today's scripture here that I've just read, I'm going to highlight three characters, and maybe you're going to resonate with the three characters here. And the three sets of characters are the, the religious leaders, which are the teachers of the law, the elders, and the chief priests. And then there's Peter. And then finally, there's the high priest. And we see in this text here that they all have their own reasons for rejecting Jesus. That they have all have the reasons for not deeming him to be worthy. So first, there's the teachers of the law. The teachers of the law, the elders, and the chief priests. And they didn't see Jesus as someone who's worthy. But the religious leaders here they didn't see him as worthy because they actually saw him as an inconvenience. They saw him as going up against what, what would be their own life. That Jesus came to expose their sin, expose the ways that they've gone wrong. And if they had to welcome Jesus into their lives, they were afraid of what that would mean. Whether they would have to change, whether they have to have their lives all reformed, maybe. It would mean laying down their old ways altogether. Instead of going down that route, they'd rather get rid of Jesus. And in fact, they wanted to get rid of Jesus so badly that they came up with this trial that was unfair on so many levels. And we read right in the beginning of verse 57 there that those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. So a few things here already that it was an unfair trial. Back in the Old Testament law, the high priest, uh, when they're appointed as high priest, they're to serve unto death. But in that day, uh, Rome had control and they were appointing the high priest. And we see in, actually, we see this in, in John 18, 13, that Caiaphas, who was appointed as a high priest. Uh, really, we can only guess and assume that it was for political gain and political reason. Another thing we see is that Jesus should have been taken to the temple court. Something as serious as this would have been tried in the temple court, but they took him to where? To the high priest's house. Uh, it wasn't tried in a fair court. It was taken to uh, the high priest's house. It was also a nighttime trial, which is usually very rare. It doesn't happen in that way. And even if you find that person to be guilty, you can't actually charge them that same night. They had to wait until the next day. But the next day was a Sabbath, so they rushed through the whole process altogether. You see, my point here is that they wanted to get rid of Jesus. They found him to be an inconvenience. They didn't want him in his life because it disrupted their own patterns. It disrupted their own ways. And we see this even more in, in verses 59 and 60 that they didn't even have evidence. They didn't find any evidence against Jesus. He was innocent. In fact, there are many false witnesses that came forward and they couldn't find anything against him. And as the reader, we would see this and say, well, he's innocent because they couldn't come up with anything. But they did come up with 
two witnesses. And under the law, again, in Deuteronomy 17, 6, two, uh, you need to gather two to three witnesses in order for the charge to be legitimate. So they gather just enough. And I'm assuming here as well that they bribed them. As we heard in the text, they bribed Judas. Later on in the text, they bribed the soldiers. These two, even though they couldn't find any witnesses, they bribed these two to come and give a testimony. And it backfires. It doesn't exactly go the way that they thought they would because these two that they got actually ended up misquoting Jesus. Jesus didn't say this altogether. Uh, and we read this, Finally, two of them came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in, in three days. Uh, Jesus didn't actually say that. What he was referring to in John chapter 2 was that the temple was his body and, and if they were to break his body, he, his body will rise in three days. It wasn't the physical temple that I was talking about. I find it hilarious. I know it's a serious night, but they find two random people and the first thing they say is this fellow, <laughs> this man or this guy. Imagine those uh, those TV news reports that interview the people on the scene and they say something random and it goes terribly wrong. And the and the religious leaders are just trying to hide their faces and be like, well, this isn't go going the way that I thought it was going to go. But here's the thing though. They went at lengths to try to get rid of Jesus because he's seen as an inconvenience. And maybe tonight as we read the story, we resonate actually with the religious leaders that we go at lengths as well to twist God's word and to justify ourselves in order to make it fit. Make our lives fit around the gospel narrative instead of understanding God's story, God's narrative in our own lives. And we, 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 we start thinking, well, God is God, sure, but I have my own life to live and God is actually just being inconvenienced to my own plans right now. But Jesus is worthy. We're reminded of that tonight. Jesus is worthy. Jesus isn't an inconvenience. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. He's the one that we follow and the one that's created all things. So the religious leaders thought he was an inconvenience and tried to get rid of, rid of them. And then we see there's Peter. There's Peter who saw Jesus as Messiah, but he focused more on what it would mean for his own comfort and safety instead. We read here in verse 58, but Peter followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Why did Peter follow at a distance? Why did Peter follow Jesus not so closely anymore, but from a distance away? See, Peter followed Jesus closely for, for three years. He was his rabbi. He saw the miracles. He saw the healings. He saw Jesus work in great wonders and power. He believed him to be the Messiah. But in this moment right here, perhaps when it counted the most, he was falling away. In this moment, even though he believes Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is going to cost Peter his own safety and comfort. And because of that, he chooses his own safety and comfort instead. Peter was more worried about his own safety than he was about declaring Jesus as worthy. You see him caring more about himself and what he thought. You see, right after Last Supper, we heard this being read to us earlier. Right after the Last Supper, on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter says in Matthew 26, 35, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. 
Then Jesus says, watch and pray, guys. Watch and pray. The kingdom of God is near. I need to do what I'm about to do to save humanity. But they keep falling asleep. And then the guards come and he cuts off the servant's ear. And maybe it seems like he's getting brownie points at that moment for standing up for Jesus. But Jesus takes the ear and heals the servant and says, no, don't do that. That's not what I'm here to do. And then Jesus is arrested and we see here that Peter follows at a distance away. And furthermore, he's sitting with Jesus' enemies in the courtyard. And right after this section of text, right in the next chapter, Peter denies Jesus three times, as Jesus had predicted. Friends, I just want to remind us tonight, and as we see the narratives of the narrative of Good Friday and of the cross, that it's a slow slide. It's a slow slide away a slow slide, a slow fall away from Jesus. And it doesn't just happen in one moment. It often starts when we're more worried about ourselves and our own comfort and our own safety than we are about God's kingdom. And we see that here with Peter. And then there's the high priest. Remember when the two witnesses came forward? Well, I can imagine the high priest at that moment is like, well, here we go. We have the evidence to frame Jesus. And then they blew it. Uh, the high priest like, you only had one line and you ruined that one line and you blew it. So the high priest stands up in anger and there's a showdown between one high priest and Jesus, the high priest, the one who created the role to begin with. And we see here that the high priest, he didn't see Jesus as worthy because he thought of himself as worthy. He thought of himself higher than Jesus. He thought of himself as the one that's more powerful and the one that has more authority, the one that actually knew what was going on. So then the high priest in verse 62 stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. And here as the reader, we think Jesus' silence is because he's done something wrong. There's no reply. But even in his silence, even when he doesn't say anything, in his silence, Jesus is still living out truth because he fulfills another prophecy as we see here, as, as found in Isaiah 53, verse 7. So the high priest pushes a little bit more. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you're the Messiah, the Son of God. I charge you under oath by the, by the living God, which is hilarious how oblivious he was to the situation because the living God was right in front of him. And he's charging him by the highest oath in the whole Jewish tradition, which actually was required to answer. By law, you had to answer the question. But at the same time, you also broke the law because you can't use that law to force someone else to incriminate themselves. I know it's a lot of laws, but they're breaking laws left and right. So the high priest says, tell us if you are the Messiah, if you are the Christos, if you are the Christ, if you are the anointed one, if you are the son of God, and how does Jesus reply? He says, you have said so. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. You see, it looked like the Jewish leaders and the Roman authorities were in control and it looks like they had the upper hand. It looked like they had power to actually condemn and to kill Jesus. It looked like they had everything all rigged and set up and going in their favor. But tonight, on Good Friday, as you reflect upon the cross and you reflect upon your own life, even when everything is going the other way, if we look closer, we'll see that's all in God's plan. 
that he's in control. Even in the most terrible of times, Jesus is totally in control. Even in the confusion of our lives, Jesus brings clarity in such a moment. Jesus thought, since you really want to know who I am, oh, I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to reveal myself fully who I am. Jesus often hides his identity, but here he says, it's time. So he quotes Daniel 7 and Psalm 110, which all point to the Messiah and also the judgment of the people who don't listen uh, to God. And he declared under this oath in the highest Jewish court and really before us and all of humanity and anyone that ever reads this text before us tonight, that what Caiaphas said was true, that he is the Christ that he is the Messiah. He is the one we've been looking for. He is the fulfiller of our hopes and dreams. He is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end. He declares right here and now the most clearest definition of who he is. And Jesus is who he says he is. And they were getting it wrong the whole time because they didn't get it. They were looking at what Jesus was doing and not what who Jesus is. You see, we don't worship Jesus only for what he does, but for who he is. For who he is. Jesus' worthiness doesn't only come from what he does, but from who he actually is and his whole identity. And Jesus does what he does because he is who he is. And at this, the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do you need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hits you? See, it would have been blasphemy if Jesus was lying, but he wasn't. Jesus doesn't die for telling a lie. He ends up dying for telling the truth and revealing to us who he is. Here all the people say he is worthy of death. They spat in his face and struck him with his fists. And this ultimately sums up the depravity of humanity, how broken and sinful humanity is. How God came to earth to seek and save the lost, and we end up saying he deserves to die. He deserves to be crucified on the cross. And that's because their actions were led by what they were thinking and not by what they were seeing. See, the question here, what do you think, is ultimately flawed. It's ultimately flawed because my mind, I know my mind, my mind, my thinking is broken and depraved without Jesus. It's not about what I think. It's about what I, what Jesus wants us to see in him tonight. And our thinking can get in the way of our seeing when we try, try to reason our way out, which affects the way that we glorify and ultimately give God his worthiness. And Jesus' words here, or for, for all to hear is that from now on you will see. And the question for us tonight is, what do you see? When you look to the cross, what do you see? Do you see the nails in his wrists, the nails in his feet, the crown of thorns, the bloodied and battered body of Jesus, the King of Kings, my Lord on the cross dying for you and for me? What do you see when you see the cross tonight? Because tonight is not about what you think of Jesus. It's what do you see when you look at Jesus? Who do you see when you look at Jesus? When we see Jesus as worthy, we see everything else more clearly. You see your own worth more clearly. You see your situation more clearly, your sickness more clearly. You see your tragedy and your pain more clearly when you look at the cross. 
Because even though all these people mistreated Jesus and gave him this unfair trial, Jesus ultimately dies for them too. Jesus still says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Those there that day when they saw Jesus, we read another text in Matthew 27, verse 54, when the centurion and those who uh, th those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. When they saw Jesus and saw everything around, they fell down and worshipped and proclaimed him to be the son of God. And when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he proclaimed and he testified. And when he saw Jesus, he says this in John 1, 29, Look, or behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or John, the disciple and the apostle in Revelation chapter 5, I'll read this for us. It's a longer text. He says this, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which were the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. They then sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased yeah with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Chapter 5 verse 11 then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice they were saying Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Yet on this night... This God that all creation worships lies hanging on the cross. For you and for me. And as I ask the question of what do you see? What Jesus saw that night when he was on the cross was his disciples fleeing. You could see people mocking. You could... Yet Jesus could also see the new life that was waiting for us. You see, I want to end with this here tonight. It's been said that Golgotha was where Jesus was crucified, was right outside the city gate. And you'll see that the pathway of Jesus of the Garden of Gethsemane, leading all the way to Caiaphas, the high priest, and then to Herod's, and then being led out to Golgotha right here. And it's been said that as he's been crucified, that it's possible that he could have been looking at the temple. Could you imagine? as he's dying on the cross, that he could see the church that he's dying for. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was thinking of you before you were even you, before you even knew who you were. And if we look closely at the cross today, we'll see something else. You'll see your name. you see you. Jesus was the, on the cross that day because that death was meant for you and all of us, so that we can have life. And as we sit at the foot of the cross tonight, 
And as we sit under the weight of our sin and shame, my prayer for us is that may we also feel and experience the freedom that comes with, from Christ, of what he has done from his sacrifice, that there's no sin too much for Jesus to carry, there's no problem and obstacle too big for Jesus to move. May we look to the cross and say, he is worthy. May we look to the cross tonight and say, he is worthy to be my Lord. He is worthy to be my King. He is worthy to be worshipped and to be my God. May we look at Jesus tonight and say, He is worthy. Father, we come to the cross tonight and we acknowledge our brokenness and our sin and we confess to you all the ways that we've gone wrong. We confess, Father, all the times we've said that you've been, you are inconvenience. We confess of the times that we've chose, chosen our comfort and our safety over declaring you to be our Christ. And we confess of the times, Lord, where we thought we were worthy, that we were all-powerful and all-knowing, better than you yourself. So, Father, we lay down before you and we grab hold of your feet tonight and we say you are worthy to be our God and our King. So may you come into our hearts tonight and may you give us healing. And may you lead us to the cross and declare you to be worthy once again and every single day after this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.